Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick. And today's guest is someone that I'm a big fan of and whose clothing I wear on a weekly basis and warm throughout my entire pregnancy as well. We have Leah D'Ambrosio here, who's the founder and designer of ethical knitwear label Wool Hide. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. I have been wanting to do this for a while, so I'm really excited. And I'm just super excited to also share about, I mean, I'm excited to learn about how you brought Woolhide into the world and what inspired you. And also Mm -hmm. just learn more about the importance in choosing your textiles and why it's so important to look at that label and what climate beneficial clothing really looks like from all angles so many different aspects to it I would um so I'm really excited for all of this but I guess um maybe we could start by you telling us a bit about Woolhide and your path to launching it sure um well I had uh, a pretty long path (laughs) to launching it um so I guess I'll just kind of start way back um well I went to undergrad for design and merchandising Mm-hmm. Um, and I had my first job out of school at a big company and um, just got like very discouraged at the way business is done and sort of waste that was created along the way, you know, in a big company, just sort of like a disregard for environmental impact and and really concern for, you know, all the people along the way that are creating everything and people you're buying from. And um, I was really put off by it. So I left. I'm going to interrupt you really quick. I don't want to call anyone out, but was that something you noticed during your time at Anthro and Urban or even before that? I think yeah, it was while I was working there, but it was just sort of, you know, I don't think it was totally like specific to them. I think industry as a whole. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's something you noticed while you were there that it just, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, So I left and just worked some odd jobs for a little while. I ended up working at a small boutique in Philadelphia where I was living. And I worked there for a long time. And one of the owners had a small uh, sweater brand that was all hand knit um, by local women. And she was having a baby at the time. So I ended up working for her a lot and um, getting involved in all aspects of her business And helping her with, you know, production and managing the knitters and also sales and, you know, making line sheets and figuring out costing with her and stuff like that. So I got really interested in that through working with her and um, ended up going back to school for textile design. Um, so I went to Philly U, which is now part of, um, Jefferson university and it was a master's of science in textile design. And I focused on knitting. And since it was a master's of science, we did like, you know, I, I had to take chemistry and we did a dyeing and finishing class. That was basically a, a focused chemistry class, but that was a huge eye opener to like the chemicals that are clothes and our home textiles are typically treated with and really all all of the good and the bad and the ugly that goes around the dyes and the finishes on all of our textiles the class was about like 
um, it was focused, but you used natural dyes, but you'd learned about the chemicals or were they kind of, they weren't really all about natural. It just kind of just taught you about all of it. We didn't actually learn at all about natural dyes. Wow. Uh, it was all it was all chemical dyes. It was it was learning the chemistry of of the dyes, basically. How you got into the natural aspect of things from that class, or you were already interested in it? I think, I guess it just sort of both. You know, I I was interested in it. I actually did a lot of natural dyeing for my thesis collection, so it's something that I just kind of went off on and experimented with on my own. But you know, then I I sort of had the basic knowledge of how dyes work from from that um which you don't necessarily need to get into natural dyeing but it was helpful so when i graduated i i was i worked a few jobs in in textiles and was always sort of making things on the side and selling at you know small higher-end craft shows and um doing consignment with some small boutiques and um Let's see, for fall of 2016 is when I started selling wholesale. I found um, a friend of a friend who was starting a business where she was starting to be a wholesale rep for small brands. And we connected and we still work together today. Uh, We hit it off. So I partnered up with her and we kind of, you know, took the brand to, to what it is today. So, you know, working with the materials and the textiles and, and where that all comes from has always been really important to me. I think because of my textile background, I, I didn't, you know, I don't have a fashion design background, but it was really focused on, on the materials and the textiles and, and the stitch development and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, there's just so much there also to dive into, but like, I know you, um, your designs are really a holistic design. So can you kind of break down what that term means to you? Sure. Um, to me, that means that I take into consideration the whole, the whole garment. Um, so basically where the fibers are coming from, if I can, I mean, it's not always easy to know where everything is coming from. And then also, you know, being aware of how it's going to wear, you know, just the, the design of, of the textile, but then also, is this something that like you're going to want to wear for a long time or is this something that we'll sort of design something and then think like, well, maybe this is just like more of a trend thing that's going to pass and people might not want this, you know, in two years. So maybe it's not something that we produce. And then also thinking about, you know, everything that's like the buttons, you know, I don't use a lot of trims and things like that because sort of end of life for the products, those can, that can be sort of complicated. It's kind of impossible to avoid it altogether. Like we do use elastic and sometimes we do use buttons, but you know, we try to use wood buttons or natural materials for that as well. So really just trying to like have the whole, the whole picture in mind when designing something. Hey everyone. I want to tell you about a brand of shoes that my husband wears religiously called Sabas. They're the only shoes he wears And back in 2016, when we got married, we were actually the first wedding to have all of our groomsmen wear sabas. Saba, spelled S-A-B-A-H, means morning in Turkish. And every pair is handcrafted at the Saba workshop in Gaziantep, Turkey, and initialed by the maker. 
Saba's shoes use all natural ingredients in the tanning process. No cheap synthetics and no paint, which is what I love about it. I love knowing that my husband and I have Saba's too. I love knowing that we're using shoes that are good for us because if you think about it, think about reflexology. Think about all the different things that we can absorb through our feet. We talk about earthing. You take in so much from your feet. So you want to make sure that what you're putting on them is not toxic. The quality is reflected first and foremost in the color and feel of the leather and mostly proven in how they age their longevity and ability to be restored and refreshed. One pair of Saba shoes should last you many years with the right care and attention. And although my husband has like 20 plus pairs and is just absolutely obsessed with it. And that's another thing that we love about it because when you spot other people in public wearing them, it feels like you're both in on the same little secret. And that's actually how the brand was founded. Mickey Ashmore, aka the Saba dealer, the founder, started Saba in 2013 out of his East Village apartment, hosting friends and friends of friends for Turkish coffees and shoe fittings. Since then, Saba has expanded, but the hospitality and personal touch remains the same. So if you're interested in giving them a try, I recommend visiting one of their five Saba house locations in New York, Amagansett, San Francisco, Dallas, or London, or shop online at www.saba.am. Be sure to enter code THEFULLEST in all caps at checkout for complimentary shipping on your order of $75 or more. Saba offers free returns and exchanges and are readily available to assist with any sizing questions. So check them out. We love them. They have slip-ons as well. They have glasses. They have all sorts of other fun things like backgammon and cool bags. And we're just really excited to share about them with you. And when it comes to the um, the difference in you know natural dyes versus chemical dyes, I mean, have you personally um, noticed a difference in your well being, or have you heard from people talking about that who are now like using more natural products? I'm curious because I mean, there's so many endocrine disruptors in those yeah. chemicals and so many things that it's hard because it's still around us and in our environment all over. But I'm curious, I've personally committed to really wearing clothing and I feel very blessed to be able to do this. I know that it's Mm -hmm. a really difficult, but you really wearing clothing that I'm really picky about what materials, you know, like you said, you use Mm -hmm. elastic only very minimally, but you have like no plastics, no microplastics in your clothing and on top of it, the dyeing thing. So I'm curious whether you've heard from anyone or just if you've done any research on the difference that it can make in someone's well-being. Well, I don't know that I've noticed anything specific, but I do, you know, talking about the endocrine disruptors, like I have a one-year-old little boy, but it took me a really long time to get pregnant. So I did do a lot of, you know, more research into sort of like chemicals just in in everything that we use, everyday products. And I I don't know the research on it 100%, but I do think that, I mean, there's all this stuff about the PFAS coming out and and there's, you know, it's like we all are part PFAS now. (laughs) And it's like in everybody's blood and, 
you know, we can avoid it as much as possible, but if it's out there in the world as much as, as it is right now, it's kind of impossible for us to avoid it. We can do the best we can in our homes and to make our homes clean, but it's it's tough. Yeah. I know. It's like in our water, it's in everything. Yeah. I'm curious that, like, you know, you have people in Peru knitting the fabric, right? And the artisans, a lot of people are in Peru. Probably mm-hmm. not. Is it solely produced in Peru or elsewhere? Um, most of our sweaters are made in Peru and the sweaters are made with Peruvian yarn. And so we work with, I work with two factories. Uh, one is more of like a artisan they work with smaller workshops of knitters and hand-operated machine knitters. And um, then we also work with a small family-run factory that's more industrial machines. Oh, awesome. I'm just curious, like, what do you think is the reason why a lot of people don't do this in their <laughs> work? You know, I mean, obviously it's Mm. really difficult, I think, and it requires a lot of forethought and planning and there aren't very many shortcuts, you know, there's just so much that goes into it. So I'm assuming that plus margins and all those things. Yeah. I always think about how, well, back in the day, everything was made out of natural materials. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a luxury. It was just Mm -hmm. the way that it was. And people had a right to have access to that because that's what clothing was. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are on all that, especially just being a small business owner and having a business around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is really hard. Um, I mean, even like, you know, I, I do the best that I can and I'm always trying to do better, but being a small brand and trying to do that is, is really hard. And it's not always possible to like be as good in that way as I want to be, you know, because sometimes I, I can't meet the minimums to get like, now some of the yarn companies in Peru are, are, are coming around and they're taking out, you know, the polyamide in their stock service yarn. So the yarns that you don't need huge minimums to buy. But when I started, you know, you, if, I could only, you know, I was making a very small amount of garments. So I had to use these, what was available in terms of yarn. And you're just totally limited when you have, when you don't have the buying power, basically. And it's more expensive. You know, um, I think that maybe some people, I think that people are, have a lot of hope that people are thinking more and more about it. And, and, you know, that's sort of like a shift that's happening. But I don't think that it's something that people really put in the forefront of their business planning. And I don't know. I mean, I maybe that's just not what they wanted their business to be. I don't know. Yeah, it's not for everyone. But there's a huge gap. I mean, I do yoga in your clothes. Like the oh, I love the new easy pant with the slim. Are they like what are they called with the slim leg on the bottom? The long john. The long john. It's so great, but I'm always looking for clothes that I could practice yoga or Pilates or go walking in because I don't want to wear Lululemon or Outdoor Voices. Yeah. That's just like all plastic, you know? Yeah. And it's funny, like you don't have to wear leggings to do yoga. You can wear cotton pants. Exactly. It's so funny. But I, but I also, it's, 
I also wonder what's the solution then for, you know, someone who wants to go running and wants something a little more high performance. And yeah, I'm just like curious if that's something that you've thought about at all or because there's that like gap where I see now there's like sweaters that have really great materials and there are a lot of different things that are happening in the space in terms of like clothing and um, but then when it comes to athleisure, it's mm-hmm. there's like no one's thinking about it. I mean, there are brands, you know, mate and stuff popping up, but like there still has to be a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if there has to be, but yeah, there's like a little bit of spandex. And I know there's tensile as an option, but I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. I just don't think that there are, are good options right now. Um, I think that there's seems like there's a lot of, you know, startup businesses that are trying to figure out how to make, you know, those types of materials in a better way, but they just don't really exist right now. Yeah. You know, spandex and having a little bit of stretch and things is really easy in terms of production. It's very forgiving. Um, And so I think that like, you know, people need to just sort of think about designing a little bit differently too if you if you're committed to like doing something a little bit differently then you know it's not just the material that you use but like okay if this doesn't have as much stretch then how do I make the pant like easier to move in and and it's not going to rip on somebody or you know something like that yeah and to your point you know like you said with the yoga thing it's like you don't need to wear that to practice yoga so changing maybe our mentality around it too what we really need when we go, I mean, people probably used to run in, you know, know, (laughs) denim. I don't know what they do. Yeah. yeah, It's so crazy. I I am so inspired and I'm not any sort of designer or anything, but I just get so excited when I see brands that are doing great things like you are. And I love looking at different textiles. So I'm curious where you get your inspiration from. And as you dive deeper and deeper into building the brand. I, well, I always get inspiration from just from nature and just from sort of like being out, you know, just going on a walk in the woods or something is always very inspiring or, you know, pre-COVID days traveling somewhere and just seeing a new landscape is always very inspiring. But also, I guess now that I'm kind of, you know, trapped in my house for a while, I think um meeting people that I work with is very inspiring and meeting people who are committed to doing the same thing or, you know, different people that I've been able to work with. That's very inspiring and sort of keeps me on my toes and keeps me like thinking about how to always do better and, you know, maybe doing better in a way that I hadn't thought of. How many, how many people do you have part of your business? Like, do you have employees or is it kind of you and the manufacturers and then your rep? So, um, Ada, who was my rep, she, she ended up coming, she was, she helped me out when I had my baby and, um, then she ended up coming on and working for me and sort of phased out the other brands that she was working with. And, 
other than that, I have, you know, a couple of freelance people. I have somebody that helps me with like newsletters and the website. I have somebody that helps me with patterns and, um, other, other than that, it's, it's me and the manufacturers and, um, I work with, uh, you know, a PR company right now, so they help out too. Is it like full circle for you having like helped the woman who, had a baby <laughs> a sweater company and then like you now growing your family. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. That's funny. I, I mean, our team is really small here too. And we're always like, someone's always holding a baby and working <laughs> and doing stuff. I feel like that's kind of the new age way to like, you know, grow a family as a woman and have a career and it's exciting and also like really exhausting but the yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, like where your vision is, like where you see will hide growing. Cause I'm really invested in your brand. <laughs> you all love it so much. Mm, thank you. I can't say, I, I mean, I just can't stop talking about it. You know, like I truly lived in it and continue to, and I get really excited when you have new stuff come out and it's just, you know, so legit basically. And it makes me happy. So I really appreciate you committing to that. And yeah, I'm excited to see what you're thinking of as you grow it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, I, well, something that I've been working on that I started last year and I've been working on it this year too, is, um, working with domestic yarn, climate beneficial yarn. So when I first started the brand and I was knitting everything myself, I started working with, um, I was working with smaller farms, domestic farms to, for all the yarn. And that was something that I, that I really wanted to continue with the brand, but couldn't figure out a way forward to, to scale up, you know, a little bit and produce domestically. It was very hard at the time to find factories that would, you know, work on a small scale. Um, it was really expensive to sample and, and stuff like that. So now that I can sort of like put, invest a little bit more time and money into that, I'm, I'm getting back into that again. And I found uh, this woman, Laura, who runs the New York Textile Lab, and she she works with Fiber Shed, which is a California nonprofit. Yeah. Okay, I've heard of them because I think that's the only other place I've seen like climate beneficial yarn. Mm -hmm. It says it's like trademarked, right? Or yes. yeah. So okay. they Fibershed is the certifier. Okay. Um so she works with Fibershed and she but she's working on more of like a um northeast regional um product. So she works with all farms in New York and she's signing them on to her climate beneficial program. So they sign on and they agree to these farming practices that it's basically like a form of regenerative agriculture. So it's improving the soil health so that the, the soil can absorb more carbon. And what they do is they um, measure the amount of carbon that is sequestered, you know, when they start and then incrementally. And then once they get to a certain point of sequestering a certain amount of carbon, then they can be certified climate beneficial. Wow. That's really amazing. Yeah. It's really great. Um, so that, that program, all the yarn is, is, um, from these small farms in New York and she collects all the fiber from them and then works on getting it processed. And it's, it's, she works with a couple of designers now. So it's kind of like a little co-op of, of designers that are using this yarn 
And um, it's, it's also undyed, which is hard to find even with domestic yarns and on a bigger scale of production. So I was really, we use, I use, try to use a lot of undyed yarns as, as much as possible. So being able to like showcase the natural color of the wool is really exciting as well. But also being that, that it's like a Northeast regional product and part of the mission of Fibershed is really sort of like supporting these sort of more like local regional manufacturing ecosystems. So the fact that like I can support the farms that are in my region that are then like creating a better planet for my region is really exciting. As you may or may not know, we've been sharing the benefits of saffron with our community for a little while now. Growing up in a Persian family, I'd been aware of the benefits of saffron because of its prevalence in my mother's cooking. But as we began on the journey to create our own line of saffron-based products, I began to learn the powerful science behind the plant. Saffron has been used by many cultures for thousands of years, and now the research is backing it up, proving that just 30 milligrams of saffron per day is a natural source for enhanced emotional and physical well-being. At the fullest, we believe that incorporating ancient wisdom into our modern lives is one of the most powerful and accessible paths to healing. We also believe that everyone's journey is unique. So for our latest launch, we've created a line of saffron products in a variety of formats to help you curate saffron in your personal daily routine. Warm Feelings is our saffron latte powder and comes in individual sachets and in larger sustainable glass jars. Made with just certified high-grade saffron, organic coconut powder, and cardamom, it's the perfect coffee alternative and feel-good start to your day. If you prefer to pop a pill, Kinder Thoughts is our 30-day supply of saffron capsules and a super simple way to support your body and mood with the power of saffron. And if you're looking to strengthen your immune system, try our Mindful Immunity Syrup. This healing blend uses saffron to reduce inflammation, but also harnesses the power of an ancient Middle Eastern berry called barberries to fight infection, along with sea buckthorn and elderberries, all in a base of manuka honey to aid in antibacterial healing. It's a true immunity powerhouse. Honestly, at the moment, I'm using each of these products on a daily basis, depending on my needs. And to help you begin your own saffron journey, we're offering a discount of 15% off just for our podcast listeners with code the fullest podcast at checkout. I hope you enjoy your new daily saffron ritual. How do you see scaling with that? I'm just curious. Some people say, you know, I don't really want to. And some people say, well, I want to because I want everyone to have access to this clothing or this product. Yeah. So I'm curious. You know, we've already hit some roadblocks in production with the yarn this year. And I think, you know, a lot of that is just attributed to the supply chain issues that are happening. And it's really, it's been really difficult. So, you know, I think for now, it's just going to remain a small part of the brand and, and just like one or two special pieces. I do hope that it becomes something that can grow because I do think that you know, it's, I don't want, sometimes I don't really want the products to be super expensive, but they have to be a certain price, you know, and they have to, they're more expensive to make. And so something like this is, you know, it's made completely domestically from 
the fiber that's grown to then washing it and processing it, spinning it, then knitting it, finishing it, you know, so it is an expensive product. Yeah. I'm curious what you like the sweet spot is. And I think that maybe like until someone gets there or past it, they might not know, but having been in big companies and worked with them, like, you know, a lot of big brands and um, boutiques like face this where um, I believe YSL does this. Um, there's a local boutique in town where like when they're done and if it hasn't sold, they like literally burn their stuff mm-hmm. instead of allowing it to get to maybe like the outlets or to get down the chain um, mm-hmm. to keep their brand, I guess, in I don't want to say integrity, but like almost in that way um, to just keep it like, I guess, high end. But when it comes mm. to just scaling in general, I guess with like your products too, it's not even, you also have timeless pieces that, and designs and styles that people will come to season after season. And that's like another aspect to it. Like you said, mm-hmm. that keeps it sustainable too, because then it's not a trending, I mean, I don't want to say it's not trendy because there are a lot of aspects to it that I think are beautiful and trendy, Mm -hmm. but not, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 But there are pieces that, that design or style, even though it might be in trend right now, it'll last forever, I guess. And so you don't need to necessarily put it on sale. Yeah. Maybe like this it's seasonal stuff or whatever, but it's like something that can be worn through all seasons. I, and I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm curious what you think having been a part of Anthro and Urban and other, you know, not just them, but other bigger big box retailers, like what is that sweet spot? So it doesn't get to a point where it's like, okay, we're done with this. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I think that, I think that that's sort of a mentality of, of like the old the way that the industry has been for a long time so I think that there's a lot of you know smaller brands that are thinking differently and trying to not think that way and I think that you know if if you as a company you know sort of design things that are a little bit more timeless or people can appreciate it it, you know next year or something I hope that that you know, we'll start to like curb that mentality that you need to just like get rid of stuff. Like, is that what happens to that, those styles? Like what happened? Uh, I honestly don't know. I mean, I think they just went on sale until they sold. Um, you know, I also think that like in terms of scale, like there's, there's been this mentality of like, you need to like be really big to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you need to like grow really fast and, um, and you need to like keep doubling your profits or something. I don't know. But I, I think that there needs to also be a shift in, in like what, what is success and what's successful and like not every brand and not every company needs to be huge. And we're all better off if, if there are smaller brands and smaller companies. And because I also think that you know, when you're smaller, you're sort of inherently more aware of what you're doing and more careful and 
I don't know. I think that smaller businesses are are inherently more sustainable in a way because you there's less people for all these decisions to go through and you know sort of like the mission of the company is easier to maintain yeah I agree and I love that and I think it's really exciting to to see you know what will just incorporating the fiber shed um products and climate beneficial products into your your textile buying just because you're already there with like just having the best, but then knowing that it's from local (laughs) farms is so exciting. Mm -hmm. And and like, that's a really great way to go about really knowing how your decisions are affecting like the local economy. And, and again, like it really COVID really did share or make businesses have to reflect on that. And as a whole, Mm -hmm. whether you're small or big, right. It's like, wow, I can't get this right now. And people want, or how am I going to navigate this? And how great that I could potentially make it more sustainable in the process, you know? Yeah. And I think as fuel prices go up and inflation continues to rise, it's just like another thing that, like you said, you if you're smaller and more intentional, then it's something that's just going to become more sustainable in that aspect just because you're noticing it more. But I am just really excited to have chatted with you. Um, Even, I mean, I wish that this was like a video um, podcast because I love like your entire office (laughs) situation right now with all the textiles in the background on the cork board. And I'm just like staring at it all. Like what is going to be created out of all these materials? Thank you. Yeah, I, I, again, like I really appreciate everything you've created. I, we, we all wear it all the time and I'm excited to see what you come out with next. So thanks for chatting with us, Leah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you for the support and for chatting.